Also, where is she? Today is Anna's birthday. Happy birthday, Anna. My glasses. I am. My eyes are getting old. My brain is not. My brain is 21. But my eyes are 41. Something's not right there. I can still see it. Just gives me a headache. <laughs> We've been going through effectively Ephesians for a little while. So we're going to continue. But with that, Ben, ben felt, I spoke to Benny because he was away, going to be away this week. He said he wanted to do chapter 5 and just two verses, which he did last week. And I said, well, I'll just jump back again because it really doesn't matter how we read it, really. You know, we can, we can go wherever we want to. Um, but just... From the purpose of where this all came from is, is us, and I, I sort of spoke to Ben quite a while ago and said, listen, I feel like we need to go through the book of Ephesians, which is actually quite a spiritual book. Not a, it's not really a, um, a book in the natural. It's not a natural book, although there is aspects um, that outplay itself in the natural. It's more a book that is Paul explaining the spiritual dimensions of life, and it We've explained this a number of times, and um, I'll, I'll recap again on it. Is sorry, I'm, I'm, I know I'm st- sort of struggling to start a bit because I actually had a word in my head that's playing around at the same time as this, and I'm trying to block it out um, or remember it because it's either got to be said or it's got to be shut, shut down. So I'm trying to get my brain through. There's two words going on in there because well, during worship, God was giving me some insight into some things, and I thought, well. Either that's got to be shared or not, and I'm not sure if I should share it. So um, anyway, this is where it all started. There are a number of gods, small g's, okay? There's one creator god, El Shaddai. Elohim means gods, okay? El Shaddai means most high god. There is one creator god. That's our god, the god we serve. The god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The god, the god of, of Jesus, of whom Jesus, the Messiah, is part of that Godhead. However, through the deception in the garden and man's decision to walk in disbelief and disobedience, we ate fruit from the wrong tree. Through that, sin and death entered. Okay? The law of sin and death entered. Now, a lot of people read the Old Testament and they go, that's the Old Covenant. It's actually not. Because before Moses' law came, there was still a lot of history. A lot of things happened. So you have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. Now, when you, when you approach the Scriptures, we can find a lot of Christians reading the New Testament, but with an Old Testament heart. Sorry, an Old Covenant heart. So they read the New Testament with an Old Covenant heart, and in doing so, they actually invoke um, legalism, law, upon themselves to follow you know, love can become a law. Who knows that? Who knows that grace can become a law? Who knows that righteousness can become a law? Likewise, we can read the Old Testament and we read it with new covenant eyes or a new covenant heart. And what happens when you do that? Then it brings forward life. Okay? So, To recap on what I spoke on a few weeks ago, before Paul and and, um, 
Adam came, everything that we do, I need you to understand this, everything about our lives is, is, is spiritual. You've you got to understand that. Everything is spiritual. What we do in the natural can either come from a spiritual dynamic at played in the natural or what we do in the natural through our mindsets can actually have a spiritual impact. But we are spiritual beings. Um, I know that that's hard to hear in some Western churches because we are scared of the spiritual, so we make everything very, very much about the natural, terrestrial, how we live out now. But, but that's not the way that God is. I mean, God is a spiritual being. Who knows that? I mean, can you see him here? No, okay? That, therefore, he is a spiritual being. And what we've done as a disservice in the Western church, who knows that in Africa and India and, and uh, Sri Lanka and in China and in most other countries in the world, they don't have an issue with the spiritual dimensions of life. They live in that realm all the time. I mean, I'm from Africa. Everything is spiritual there. People go to witch doctors to get what they call muti. It's a type of medicine that's made um, from, from the, they, they boil up weird stuff. Things like blood, bones, insects, plants, and they make people drink it. But, and, and there's a spiritual dimension. You see it all the time. But West, as Westerners, we've been dumbed down to the spiritual realm. Because in Western culture, everything is cerebral. Everything is about um, head knowledge. Everything is about science. You've got to scientifically prove something. Even though science is proving that there's a creator rather than, you know, uh, than uh, evolution. But that's that we just throw that aside because it doesn't make we we, we can't accept um, even when there's proof and evidence. That's just that's how bad we've become. Okay, so but that so that filters itself into the life of the church, and so you've got a church, an army of God who is armed with sticks and stones against an enemy that has automatic weapons. You have a spiritual enemy. Remember, we, Edith just read the scripture. That, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world, or of the dark world, or the kingdom of darkness, whatever you, however you want to say it, right? So, so, so here we go. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. So it's not a battle against anything natural. It's a battle that's against a spiritual force. But we are armed with natural weapons. And we try to fight that, not understanding that, that if you're not armed with spiritual weapons, you're actually not going to win the battle. And we wonder why the enemy is taking ground in our cities, in our nations. It's pathetic. It's pathetic at best. Now, Jesus, I, I love this. We, I want to just say this. We as the church have been, you know what it is? We are, we are a cricket nation. Um, you're batting on the back foot. Do you know what that means? You're batting on the back foot. It means you're always in defense. It means the bowler's got the better of you. You're not playing the forefront. You're not getting boundaries. What you're doing is you're constantly just defending your wickets because you, you, you're you afraid you're going to go down. So you don't want to take any big hits, so you just keep blocking. He's on target, which means he's on your wicket, and it means that all you can do is defend and defend. And if you miss that ball and it hits you in the leg, you're going to go out anyway because it's LBW. And if you miss that ball and, you, and it misses your legs, it's going to hit your wicket. So one way or the other, that ball's got to be on your bat and you've got to hit it to the ground. And that's not the way to play, win a cricket match. Okay? It's boring and you're not going to win. Now, we as the church have been batting on the back foot. We, we, we forgot the very scripture where, where Jesus stands bef before his disciples and says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, under revelation of the Holy Spirit, says this, you are the Messiah. It means you are the king 
who will sit eternally on the throne. You are the Messiah who we have waited for. You are the Messiah and you are the son of the living God. Jesus then renames Peter and he says, and you are Peter. You're no longer the reed that's wavering because Peter was like that. He was, a, and, and still to some degree, even after he is renamed, he, he waved a bit like a, like a reed. Okay, he says, you are now Peter. Peter means the little stone, little rock. Okay, he says, you are Peter. He says, but on this rock, now understanding Jewish culture, rock means foundation. That's what it means. Upon this rock, upon, so we can translate it correctly like this. Upon this foundation, what foundation? The foundation of the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the son of the living God. Okay, upon this revelation, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, I, the Messiah, will build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, a prevailing gate is a gate that's moving forward. You can't prevail unless you're in a state of action. Remember, we're not in a state of defense. We're offensive. But the church sits in a state of defense. We're blocking our wickets rather than going for the boundary shots. Every time the enemy bowls a ball, we should be able to confidently knock it towards the boundary through the covers. I know that's a, it's a pretty weak terminology when we're speaking about spiritual things, but every time the enemy throws something at us, we should be confident enough that we are not going to be taken down by it. That's, what, that's effectively what I'm trying to say. Okay? In actual fact, the most, I used to play first-team cricket in, in high school, um, and I was, a, I was a, because I used to play, um, I, played state ba- I played baseball for my state in my younger years. So I was used to a small ball and a small bat um, connecting with one another and, and hitting it, right? So, so they used to put me as the fifth batsman because I wasn't a patient batsman. I didn't get my eye into the ball, and, I, and, and when the fast bowler bowled, it wasn't my, my thing. What would happen is they would put a spin bowler on, and, and one of our, my um, batsmen would go, out. I'd be like f- fifth or sixth batman. And I'd come out, and all I would do is just slog the ball, hit the skin off it, right? So, so my whole game was, I would, the spin bowlers, remember, in, in, we, we didn't have any, um, what's your, your most famous spin bowler's name again? Shane Warne. We didn't have Shane Warnes. In high school, people thought they were Shane Warne, but no one's spinning the ball. All they're doing is bowling it nice and slow and pitching it up chest high. That's effectively what a spin bowler in high school does. Okay? Um, no one was turning that ball around. So for me, all it was like is playing baseball where the ball's this high, but my bat's a bit thicker. So what I got confident in doing is I would run down the pitch, double step it, and I'd, I'd, I'd be out of my crease, but I'd just smack that ball over the infield towards the boundary. Normally, I would, I'd get like, 20, 25 points, and then I'm out, which is good enough. You've, you've gained 20 points for your team. But what would happen is I'd watch the bowler become more and more nervous and more and more um, disheartened at the fact that there was nothing he could do because all I did was I kept running down the crease so there was this high and smack it out the park. And you'd see him talking to the captain, they'd talk to the coach, and they'd change the bowler out, and they'd normally go to a fast bowler, and then that was me done. You know what I mean? But, but, but... To use that analogy, like as, as a Christian, that's what we should be doing. We should be double-stepping confidently out, not pridefully, confidently out the crease and putting the enemy on the back foot where he's talking. What are we going to do? How are we going to get this person down? How are we going to get them out? That's where we should be at. But if we've got sticks and stones, we're not going to do anything. So we started approaching, that's a long introduction, but we, we started approaching the book of Ephesians to look at it from a spiritual dimension and 
to recap on it um, a, a little bit, that we, if we just quickly go back to... Just to chapter 1, verse 17. This is Paul's prayer. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of himself, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. I mean, that's just, that should seal the deal right there. We, we need a revelation of His immeasurable power towards us who believe. And some, some texts say the word towards, and it can be translated like this, um, for us who believe. His power, which is immeasurable, by the way, is towards us or for us who believe. That should be, that's enough to double step and smack the boundary. Um, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in the Messiah when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. That is confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah on the throne. That's why we sing this. There is no other name like yours, Jesus. There is no other name above the name of Jesus. There is no other nature nor character. There is nothing that you can name that sits above the name of Jesus. You know, it, it, the enemy trembles at the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus carries authority in any language. You, you, you give me any language in the world and you name the name Jesus and, and the enemy trembles. It carries authority. We don't understand that, but the enemy sure does. But the enemy also knows that when we come and we waffle off the name, as we heard from Ben, about the seven sons of Sceva who try to go there and invoke the name of Jesus and try and cast out these demons without revelation, what actually happened is they ended up, the, 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 that demonized man beat all seven of those guys, stripped them naked. We forgot to point that out. And these guys came running out, bleeding, beaten, and they had lost their clothing by one bloke who was demonized. And they went in, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. <laughs> That's not going to cut it. Most Christians don't understand the power of the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, the enemy trembles. At the name of Jesus, deaf ears are opened. Blind eyes are opened. Cripples start walking. Cancers come out of people's bodies. Addictions are broken. Depression is destroyed. Peace is established. This is at the name of Jesus. There is no other name that you can call and that's going to happen. And he is seated far above all rule and authority and he's seated above every power and every dominion. And remember we spoke about this. This is not the powers and dominions of the men of earth. This is not talking about governments and kings in this world. It's talking about the Elohim, the governmental authority and powers that sit over our nations, over our cities, over our lives in the, in the, in the spiritual realm. There is, there is levels, friends. And if you, if, you have, if you want to see it, go and read the Bible with an open heart. Remember, the Bible itself, read with the natural eyes, is a phenomenal history book. But you have to read it in the power and the eyes of the Holy Spirit in order to gain the revelation out of it. Otherwise, it's just a dry history book. I don't know if you like history. I wasn't a fan of it. And you can get a lot of insight out of it. But it doesn't bring life. Okay? Read the Bible in the Holy Spirit. You will see there's, there's different layers of authority in heaven. There's powers and authorities that sit over regions. There, there, there are then lesser powers and authorities that sit over nations. Then there's lesser powers and authorities that sit over cities. 
or states in our country, over cities in our country, and then there's a whole lot of little demonic powers that run around attaching themselves to people and bringing oppression. And at times, possession. That means that, I, I mean, I have seen multiple times, more than I can even count on my fingers and toes, people with demons living inside of them. And we're not talking about people from third world countries. I have faced a young man who was from Australia who had six demons in him. Every one of those demons spoke to me out of that guy's mouth in a different voice and named themselves and then said to me, do you know where we came from? We came from this young man who was doing astro traveling and we attached ourselves. I mean, that gave me the whole story. I was like, this is actually quite insightful. Clint was with me, and you're going to see there's a young guy, um, Mark Altrincham's son, Warren, who was there as well. And the three of us sat in this office with this young demonized Australian and his dad, who was freaking out, by the way, because he's hearing his son speaking in different languages. And this guy's giving me the history of where they all came from. One of them was a young Middle Eastern girl in a girl's voice. Now, there's a guy who's speaking like a girl, a little girl giving themselves some name. And, then I, and, and this is his first contact with me. We walk in, I introduce myself to his father. Are you okay with me sharing testimonies as part of this? You know, if we don't get through it, we don't, but I wanted to, you know, hopefully you walk away with some revelation today. And, and, and I hope that revelation's not me. I hope it's the fact that Jesus is the king and that we ourselves are going to encounter this and we know how to engage with it. Now, he walks in and his dad sees me. I introduce myself to his dad. Then this boy comes to the door. Now, let me tell you, I've never seen, I've seen demons come out of people, but this kid looked like a demoniac. He had ripped chunks of his hair out. He had like all curly hair. He had ripped parts of his hair out, so he had bald patches. His face was distorted. His teeth were yellow. Looked like some of them had fallen out. And he, 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 he was growling at me. And he walks in and he looks at me, with, he looks at me like this. And then he says this in a strange voice that was not with an Australian accent. He said this, I know who you are and I know what you're going to try and do and it's not going to work. <laughs> that's what he said to me. I said, okay, no, that's fine. My name's Brad. Nice to meet you. Do you want to come into our office over here? We took him into this office, sat him on the couch. He sits down and he starts rocking backwards and forwards and he goes, it's not going to work. Many have tried before. It's not going to work like that. So I said to Warren, get your guitar, bring it in here and start playing. He starts to worship and the next minute, these things start going mental. They're screaming and shouting. He jumps on the couch. We're, we're up where our church office was on about the 10th floor of this uh, like 30-story building. He opens the window and tries to climb out and commit suicide. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to kill himself. I pull him up. We grab him, pull him back in again, and we hold him on the couch, and we start praying. Then he starts shouting out all these names. This is my arm from so-and-so. And, and, and these are, this is weird stuff, man, weird stuff. And then we, start to, we just start declaring Jesus' name in worship, just declaring Jesus' name. And he starts to scream and shout and ask his dad in a little girl's voice, Daddy, they're hurting me. Help me. They're hurting me. And his father's like, stop, stop. I said, sir, you need to step out of this office. I said, this is manipulation. Okay, this goes on for four hours, friends, four hours. And one of them said to me, because I said, I, I, I said to Clint, I said, this is taking long, man. So something's not right here. And, and this is what the demon says. He goes, do you know what the best thing for us is? Is that this guy went to the doctor and they, the psychologist gave him medication that dumbs him down so that we have authority over his mind. 
That's, and, and this is what it says to me. It says, that's what this, this is what it says. This is what your medical system in Australia has done. That's what it said. They've given him the, um, medication that dumb him down. We have control. Then it pulls up its, his sleeve and he goes, look what we've done to him. And he pulls up his sleeve and all these little round burn marks are there. I said, what is that? And they went, we take cigarettes and we burn him to see how much his flesh can maintain pain. That's what it's telling me. Now we think we're fighting against natural enemies. The church up the road has taken five of our people and they've gone. There's our enemy. It's competition between churches. Man, we've got a far bigger battle than this. You think this is, this is, this is, I'm not talking storybook stuff here, friends. I'm talking reality. Eventually, eventually, just to close off the testimony, this young guy's laying on the sofa and he's, heaving and thinking, I mean, there's vomiting that's happened, there's, he's trying to cast himself out that window at least three times, at least three, screaming, shouting, trying to scratch us, this is all going down, right? Um, we get to the point where he's laying on the couch, he suddenly calms down, he looks at me, and he says this, please help me, and I said to Clint, his medication wore off, and we cast that demon one at a time out of him. And each time we just called out the name of that thing and we said, you get out of him in Jesus' name. He leant over and he started to heave. Like he was vomiting, screaming and shouting and ranting. Next one, next one, next one. And eventually, complete calm. And I said to him, you need to give a life to Jesus right now. That boy sat up there and he committed his life to Jesus right there and then, right? Then we took him. The next day, we met him at home. I said to Mark, our phone Mark said, you don't, you're not going to believe what's just happened. I said, we're going to go to this guy's house tomorrow. We're going to baptize him. We want to meet his dad. I tell you what, friends, no word of a lie. I've got people who will testify to this. They walked, he walked, we walked into that guy's house. He came down the stairs and I t I'm telling you right now, he had had a haircut. He was completely changed. The deformation on his face was gone. His teeth were no longer yellow. And he came down and he, and he said, morning, Brad, nice to see you. And he started speaking to me. We took him outside. We baptized him in the swimming pool. I left Dubai a couple months after, but him and his dad were in the church when we left, and I kept following up with Clint when he was living over there. Are they still there? And he said, yep, in the church, in the life of the church. And then when Clint eventually came, I don't know whatever happened to them. They could have moved back to Australia or moved anywhere else. But friends, that is what we face all the time. It's not a joke. My job, my desire is to equip the body to handle this. Now, you're not going to face demons every day. That's not going to happen. But you're going to face people that are oppressed every day. You're going to face other situations where there is a, a divisive spirit that's trying to come in, into your workplace. You're going to find a divisive spirit that's trying to operate over your marriages. If you've got squabbling in your marriage, I'm just going to say this. We're all family here. If you've got squabbling in your marriage, constantly bickering at one another, stop because your spouse is not your enemy. <laughs> Something is operating. Be aware. Why do we argue the time, love? Let's ask God. And if, you're not, if you don't hear anything, why don't you go like this? In the name of Jesus, we declare peace into our home. And then pray for each other. And break off that spirit. Why? Because there's spirits that want to break down relationships. They want to destroy marriages. They want to destroy our children who are committing suicide by the dozens, by the way. By the dozens. There is so much depression in schools. My daughter goes to a, a, a well-known Christian school in the city. And let me tell you, the stories she brings to me are absolutely horrific. Horrific. Something is not right. Abuse in the homes. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. 
Domestic violence in this country is phenomenally, outrageously high. Why? Because all the men in Australia are a bunch of idiots and they just want to beat women around? No, because there's a spirit over our nation. Who's going to stop it? The government, let's vote for Labour, let's vote for Liberals, let's vote for Greens, One Nation, whoever it is. Put their number down and let's see if they can stop a spirit from operating over our nation. No. Who stops it? Who's the government over the spiritual dimensions in this place? We are the church, the body of Jesus. We are the ones who stand and put a stop to the spiritual dimensions. We are the ones who are the gatekeepers of our nation. When we start to work together and walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, guess what happens? We know we're double stepping. <laughs> we're double stepping and triple stepping down the, down the pitch. And we're knocking boundaries. And we are putting the enemy on the defense. We're not, we are now, we are moving forward. And the enemy will not prevail against us. That's, that is the truth. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. It's not a hope. It's, it's truth. If you stand on the rock of foundation that Jesus is the Messiah, doesn't matter what's going on around you, he is the Messiah. On that truth, the enemy cannot prevail against it. Go with me. I didn't finish reading that other text, but it doesn't matter. We're going to go across to chapter 4. We're going to read through chapter 4 in 20 minutes. He says, ah, this is Paul writing, ah, Therefore, now in order to understand what he's saying, we, we did close off on this on my last sermon. We closed off on this um, probably four weeks ago. So we just go back to chapter 3, verse 20. He says, now to him, and we, we've read through all that, so go, go back and re-listen or go back and, and, um, and, and uh, re-read the, the, um, chapter 3, right? But I wanted to pick it up from uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able, to him, who is him? God. Now to God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask, think, or imagine, which he does according to the power or his power at work within us. How does God do more than you can ask? How does God do more than you can imagine? How does God do more than you can think? He does it by his power that's at work within you. God is not a, a, a magician. He, he's, not a, he's not a party act. You don't, he doesn't just do little tricks for you. He puts his power within you. That's why you have the Holy Spirit, who is God, in you. That's a revelation that none of us in the church have got. I've never seen a revelation like that since guys like Smith Wigglesworth and them work, where they just walked around with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them, and they just touched people, and the power of God's kingdom instantly manifested. We've lost that. Cerebral, because we've become so cerebral. We need to get back to being spiritual. That's why your mind needs to be renewed. Your mind is renewed to the reality of you being a spiritual being in a physical body. And you are we, the church, as I've said it many times, and I, it wasn't my own revelation. I heard it from somebody else, and I can't even remember who it was because it's probably been passed down. But we, the church, are the embodiment of God's kingdom on earth. According to him... So according to the power that is work within us, to him be glory. To him be glory in the church and to him be glory in Jesus the Messiah throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, because of this that I've just said now, therefore, Paul, I, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you. 
I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Friends, this is Paul is urging us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which he's called you. With all humility. See, pride will get us nowhere. In actual fact, God opposes the proud. That's, that's, friends, there's one thing I learned in life, because I was quite a pr- proud guy in my teens, as most teens are. Um, you know, we're the cleverest people in the world. I was proud, but in, a, in an arrogant way. And God, when I got saved, some of that comes through. You know, when you first get saved, you carry a little bit of that, that garbage through with you. And I remember God saying to me one day, he goes, do you want to be opposed by me? And I went, actually, I don't. <laughs> I think that was probably the best revelation I had at that time. No, actually, I don't want to. And he says, deal with your pride. Humility, gentleness. Now, listen here, gentleness, okay, is not, is not being soft. Gentleness, I heard this from... Um, I can't even remember the guy's name now. He was part of NCMI. He said, gentleness is strength under control. Jesus was gentle. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't some softy, but he had strength under control. That's what gentleness is. Gentle, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's another big one. Learning to bear with each other in love, true love. Remember we spoke about it a few weeks ago. Not, not the true agape, unconditional love. That means it's a love that, is, you can, it's a love that expects nothing back. That's what unconditional it is. Bearing with, another in, with one another in love. Eager, I like that one. We need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I shared that thing about the rabbi. Do you, did anyone remember that? Where the rabbi was preaching and then there was, an, there was a, Shane Willard was getting a bit excited and the rabbi thought that Shane was opposing him. And so the rabbi turned to Shane and said, he said, brother, Shane, for the sake of peace, let me be wrong. Do you, did anyone remember that sermon? Okay. That is what it looks like to have unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. And then, then he goes and says this, there is one body, there is one spirit. I think the church doesn't understand that we're one body and one spirit. I think if you look around Western society, that is definitely not the case. Everyone is competing for the affection of the 20%. We all want the 20% of Christians to come to our thing, be in our church, because success in Western culture is, is, is measured by how much, how much money you have, how big your house is, how fancy your car is, how many people you have in your business. How many people you have in your church attending? Jesus never measured by masses. In actual fact, he thinned out the masses because he was looking to the heart. So he speaks to people, as he always did, a word that was truth. And when the truth came, it challenged. And when the challenge came, the crowd left, but the disciples stayed. There's, there's, let me say this. There is a remnant of Christians that are being built like the stones that Nehemiah put together. Burnt, broken down stones that are being built together to become the wall of the city. Right? It's those people who are the disciples. It is the true church of Jesus. There is many. Let me say this to you guys. And I, and I say it with, with humility and with, and with a heaviness of heart. There are hundreds and there are thousands of people sitting in churches who think they're saved, but they're not. 
They made an emotional decision when there was an emotional event and they repeated words after a man on the stage, but nothing came from their heart. They are not born again and, when they, and they will not make it into eternity with our Father. As sad as that may be. Friends, I'm not lying to you. That reality needs to hit us. It's a reality that hits me often. Because often I'll sit there and I'll reconsider my own salvation, my own revelation. You have to. If you don't get to that place in your life, has anyone ever gone, am I actually really saved? Has anyone had that? Friends, it's good to reassess yourself like that. Not out of legalism to go, what more must I do? There's nothing more you can do. You can only have revelation in who you are. And every time I get to that point, guess who witnesses to my salvation? The Holy Spirit. Because the scripture says that he witnesses to the salvation of Jesus. He witnesses to my sonship, to your sonship. I know, friends, attending church does not get you eternal life. Acceptance of Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, your King. If you love me, Jesus says this in John, if you love me, you will obey me. Then you are truly my disciples. Then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We quote on our fridge magnets, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we have the three dots before, dot, dot, dot. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There is a prerequisite to knowing, to having the truth set you free. There's a prerequisite to, to, to knowing truth. It's to become a disciple. There's a prerequisite to becoming a disciple. It's if you love me, you will obey me. So let's read it like this. If you love me, only if you love me, then you will obey me. And if you obey me, and only if you obey me, then you shall know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. The truth doesn't set you free if you don't love God and, you don't, and you're not a disciple. It's just words. It's words. that, that And I, I posted this thing yesterday. I'm not going to tell you where, but it doesn't matter. It was a revelation that came to me. We have too many little sermonettes going out where we've thrown enough one-liners in so you can take a photo of me preaching and then you can put it onto your, onto your, um, your Twitter, uh, the one-liner that Brad said that's completely out of public context of what I've said. But that's what we've got people doing. Rather than preaching truth that's going to challenge people. Let me tell you, when I read the Bible and when I'm preaching, I'm challenged to go home and go, Brad, you've just preached stuff here now, man, and you've got to sort your life out to make sure that you are aligning yourself with the very word that you're preaching. It's taken me a long time, friends, to preach on love. I said it to Paul Tottenham the one day. I said, man, I'm str- I, I struggle to preach on love. And he goes, why? He says, it's one of the key uh, uh, truths in the Bible. I said, because I struggle to love people. Because I've been hurt. So I struggle to love. So I don't want to preach something where I'm going to be hypocritical in what I'm preaching. (laughs) It's just not going to work for me. So I'd rather not. I'd rather not preach on it. But as I am seeing healing come in my heart, what's happening is I'm feeling more and more confident to step into that love myself first before I begin to tell other people how to step into that. Because I need to take the log out of my own eye before I start trying to take little specks out of other people's eyes. That's the, that's the rules of engagement. Remember we spoke about it last week. The rule of engagement is take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. It had nothing to do with what I'm preaching on, but, but I just thought I might share it. Probably just came out there. Anyway, there is one spirit, one, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Oh, sorry, of Christ's gift. Remember, Christ carried all of the gifts in him. And the way he did it, spectacularly, because he's so good at what he does, is that when he went to go sit on his throne, he gave his gift and he split it and gave it to different people because Jesus demands, friends, unity. I want to say that again because it's quite a strong word. And, and you know, we, we've, we've, we, we've learned how to soften our language down to be politically correct and we don't want to disturb people and make them upset. You know, honestly, those, that's, we've got to get over that, man. You know, the light horsemen from your country that went charging across didn't tell anybody, they just went charging because they went, enough is enough. We've lost that spirit. We, all, all we've got to do, we don't want to upset the minority. The minority's got a loud voice. My wife told me that the other day. She said, the minority's got a big voice. Rah, 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 social media. They, they've got a loud voice. It's a minority. It's okay. They need to be loud to feel validated. The enemy, our enemy, the spiritual enemy, is a minority, friends. Remember when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. One third. <laughs> Where's the other third? And plus, the God we serve is a creator. Satan does not create. Our God does create. Maybe he create another one-third of the angels. You know, let's create more. Who knows? He, he's, he is infinite. <laughs> he is infinite. He is eternal. None of these other things are. <laughs> so friends, our enemy, our enemy, Satan, is the minority. So who's going to be the loudest? Remember Jesus? He didn't argue with people. The Pharisees, rah, rah. And Jesus just walked away. I love that. I actually, I, I think that's a great lesson for us. We're going to just, we're going to hiss and we're going to gnash our teeth at you and try and, you know, throw you out and argue. And Jesus just walks away. That's like so spectacular. Just walks away. Couldn't, couldn't care less. See you later, mate. I'm out of here. I'm going to take the 12 with me. And we'll rather just go sit there in someone's home and have a chit chat, right? Talk about the kingdom. Love on one another. But grace was given, so Jesus gives us these gifts. He splits the gift he carried into multiple gifts in order for us to learn how to walk in unity. It says that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. The actual word there is he, he, he led a multitude of captives. So when he ascended onto high, he led a multitude of captives out of imprisonment, and he gave gifts to men. Now, I'm not going to read that little blurb there, but from 11 it says, and he gave, from chapter, sorry, from verse 11 it says, and he gave the Bible, some say the apostles, but the, the scriptures, he gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets. He gave some to be evangelists. He gave some to be shepherds and teachers. He did this to equip the saints, that's us, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He didn't give them for their own ministries. He gave them to equip us for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? We've been speaking about it. We've been speaking. Our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. It's that God is reconciling the world to Himself in His Son Jesus. Our ministry is that Jesus, a proclamation of the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah on the throne, and that mankind has now been redeemed into Christ, into God, sorry, to God in Christ. 
That the kingdom of heaven is eternal and that it's pushing back the kingdom of darkness. That, that is our ministry. It's a ministry where we love. It's a ministry where we are gentle and patient. It's a ministry where we take the government of God and we establish it into every area of our lives, starting with your own life, then in your, fa- in your marriage, then with your kids, then with your extended family, your close friends, in the life of your community church, okay, in the life of your work, if, you, if you're working, or in your school, if you're a student, or college, if you're a student, or if you're uh, a stay-at-home mom, in your sphere of influence, whatever that looks like for you, who knows? You know your influence. That is where you minister. And these gifts, who are Jesus' gifts, come to equip us for that ministry, Our job, friends, is not to support those people by joining their organizations. Our job is to honor them when they come and we sow into their lives when they come with with the correct heart to build into us. But, But their job is to serve the body. It's to serve the body of Christ so that we can be equipped for the for the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until this is where it's going to happen, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, until we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. There's two types of knowledge. There is knowledge of good and evil, which leads to self-righteousness, which leads to affection away from God, which leads to focusing on yourself, which leads to you becoming the judge of what is good and then what is evil. And when you judge what is bad in your own life, you step into self-righteousness to try and attain to what you believe is good. That's not the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. That's what comes from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then there's the knowledge of the Son of God, who is Messiah. That's the gospel. That's who we've been speaking about. That's what we live for. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or personhood. If you want to be political, when it says manhood, it's woman and men, okay? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature When it says measure, it means to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah or Christ. So these gifts come so that we can actually attain to unity in faith, unity in the knowledge, or sorry, come to the full knowledge of of the Son of God. We, We mature and we come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Friends, sanctification is not the process of becoming more holy. Sanctification is the process to which is the degree to which Christ is formed in us. Justification happened when Jesus was raised. He, 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 he died for your sin, but he was raised for your justification. Died for your sin. Sin is dealt with in the death of Jesus. Justification is dealt with in the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? And sanctification which is just simply the process of maturing, if we want to say it in that way, is simply the more we walk in the Spirit, the more Christ is formed in us. Sanctification is you maturing into the fullness of the stature of Christ, not by your own works, but by your obedience to God. Let me say that again. Not by your own works, but by your obedience to God. Remember, friends, obedience is a kingdom principle. Right? I know we struggle with that. But it's a kingdom principle. If God asks you or tells you to do something, it's that you have a choice to either obey or disobey. Now, disobedience and disbelief is is interchangeable from the same root word. If you believe someone, you will obey them. 
if you don't believe someone, you will not obey them. Disbelief generally turns to disobedience. If you, dis- if you were standing at the edge of a cliff and I said to you, do you trust me? And you went, yes, I do. I said, I want you to step off the cliff because I can see there's a supernatural spiritual bridge. You're gonna, it's going to look like you're walking on air, but God's actually got a bridge there. Let me tell you, every one of you would go, we don't believe you. You wouldn't obey me. It's really that simple. But we do, it's, I know, I've simplified it because that's the reality of how we operate with God every day. I want you to give up that job because I have this other one for you. I don't want you to move interstate to that job because I have a better one for you. I know at the moment you don't have a job. Yep. Don't take that job. Mm. When you don't believe God, you, take, you, you don't obey Him. You step into what you think is the right move. And then it doesn't go well for you. Or you struggle. Or something happens. Or you lose out on what God actually really wanted you to have. Is He going to help you and bless you? Always. There might be struggle though, but He's going to be with you. You're going to have to work some stuff out. That's just the reality of life, friends, with God. Rather, sorry, He does all this for the gifts. So we come to the the statue of the fullness of Christ. So that... So that, friends, we may no longer be children, immature, that we're no longer children, tossed to and fro by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Friends, I see this all the time, and I've got friends that they'll listen to a sermon from one person, and then they'll start quoting that, like, oh, this, they'll start putting out all these things about the sermon they've heard, and you'll hear it. And then the next minute, they'll listen to another sermon, and you've got to hear this, and I'll be like, hey, hang on a second, you've just contradicted yourself in what you've been saying. Because one person is saying something that's almost opposed to the other. But that's how we are. We, we're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. When we become mature in Christ, the fullness of His stature as the gifts that God gave minister and equip us for ministry, guess what happens? We become mature. We're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're stable. We're steadfast. We're consistent. That makes sense? Also, we are not caught up in human cunning, nor by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. Rather, now now watch how it translates. The spiritual translates into the natural. And it's on this verse 15. Rather than being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, rather than being caught up in human cunningness, rather than being caught up in craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Grow up in every way. Friends, in your spiritual life, let me tell you, if you're spiritually growing, it will be naturally seen. It is the natural order of things. As your mind is renewed, it is translated into the natural. That's just how it is. Because you are made up of spirit, of soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and of flesh, which is your body. We are to live from the Spirit, not from the flesh. When you live from the flesh, it impacts your emotions and your mind and your will. When you live from the Spirit, it impacts your emotions, mind, and your will. Get that? And then it translates. Translates out of your mouth what you say, out of how you live. You can see a tree by its fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. It's impossible. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's impossible. But the issue is the mind. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Why? As you relate to the Spirit. It's quite simple, really, but it's actually a challenge at the same time. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part works properly, this is key for us, when each part works properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Where does it start? It says there, with the head. Jesus is the head. As we put together every joint and ligament, which is equipped by what? The gifts come to equip the body. When each part, when each member in the body, friends, in this house, it's all of us sitting here and those who are not here today. We are each member of this house. But then our community is a member of the greater body. Do you see what I'm trying to say? When each part is playing its role it, and working properly with each other, in gentleness, in love, in patience, speaking the truth in love, not getting caught up in, in, in pointless arguments, walking by the Spirit. Honoring is a big one. Honor one another. It makes the body grow so that the body now begins to build itself up. You know, when, when, when you're born, your body's weak. You're a little baby. You're frail. But as you grow older and you actually start to build up your body, you become stronger and stronger. It's exactly the same. As each member works properly, the body itself begins to build itself up and the body itself begins to strengthen itself. Does that make sense? But friends, I want to say to you right now, we've got a male, in, in the Western church, it's a, it's a male-nourished, weak body. I'm not afraid to call it out. This is not going to go on the air. There's no big people out there that are going to be you know, offended by Brad because my name is not that big and, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for that. But what I'm saying to all of you here is this. We need to be able to speak truth. The body in the Western world is in a state of weakness. I know everyone goes, oh, the church is doing better than she ever did. Maybe, maybe the consumerism church is doing better. There's, there's big numbers and we've got fancy new buildings. That's fine. But I'm saying the true church of Jesus Christ, the one who is driving back the, the, the gates of hell, is not doing well. How do you know, Brad? How can you be so sure? Just look around you, friends. What is the evidence you see? Because let me tell you right now, the evidence of the church rising up is not positive. The enemy is getting deeper and deeper and deeper ingrained into the culture. And we're not going to go pick it outside abortion clinics because that's not how you solve the problem. You're not going to go stand outside um, um, same-sex marriage marches and parades and start throwing out horrible words. This is not the way that Jesus would have done it, and it's not what he advocates. How do we do it? We do it by worshiping. Why? Because when we worship, he builds his throne. His, his kingdom, his throne is established on the praises of his people. When we ourselves actually put a bit of knee to carpet, and we start to get a bit of grazes on our knees because we got carpet burns from spending time down there in worship and prayer. It's from us transforming our lives so that your marriage is getting better, that your kids are getting better, that, the, that, that your life is starting to model out a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of spaciousness, that people start to glean from you, ask questions. Well, guys, how, how do you do so well in marriage? How do you do so well in raising your kids? I mean, no, they're not perfect. How do you do it? Now I've got a testimony. It's because of Jesus. It's because I, I live in a different kingdom to the one you're living in. Amen? It starts with us, friends. We're not going to change the world by us not being changed. We're not going to change the world by, by quoting Scripture. We're going to change the world by being obedient to Jesus so that His, his form 
sorry, his uh, life is formed in us so that we become more of his image. As we heard Mark say many times, Ben's uh, reiterated, we are the image bearers of Christ, of God himself, that the world will look at, they will see, and they will want to be part of. Amen? Awesome. Um, we can continue another time. There's much, much more to go. But let's, let's pray. Why don't we pray, guys? Father, it's, it's, I know messages can be challenging, and they should be. They should challenge us. That they should also encourage us. If you, if you hear a message that is spoken to you, and you walk away feeling bad about yourself, you, you, haven't, you haven't heard truth. What should happen is you should be challenged in where you are living in lack, but at the same time go, actually, I, I want to, I'm encouraged for more. I'm, I'm going to, if, if it's an issue in your marriage, you've got to turn and say, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to honor my wife more. I'm excited. And then get home. Hey, love, let's, let's give it. Let's go. Let's get this thing sorted out. With the kids, hey, let's, let's um, raise a little one. Let's actually start approaching it from a different situation. If it's at work going, I'm going to walk to, when I'm on my way to work, I'm actually not going to sit there going, I can't, I'm dreading going there. But actually, I'm going to start praying for a change. And then when somebody gets up my nostril, I'm not going to react. I'm actually going to, I'm going to respond in a positive way towards it. I'm going to bite my tongue. See, little things like that make a big difference because when you when you make that step not to get angry at work or to bark back at the, your colleague when you when you when you make a choice not to shout at your wife or not to dishonor your wife or um, not to have an argument or not to go to your kid and speak to them and you know shout at them and lock them in. when you start to make that step you are establishing God's government right there and then you got to do it again and become consistent there's not if you're not consistent friends it's not going to work it's got to be consistent you you're either going to change because remember, we're not, it's not trial and error here. Oh, we'll give it a crack. When it comes to your life, there's no giving it a crack. You're either going to change or you're going to stay the same. One way or the other. So we don't want anyone going, oh, we'll give it a crack. If it doesn't work, we'll get divorced. Please, this is not the way the kingdom works. We are going to consistently change our lives in every area. Amen? Father, I don't know if you've got issues. I mean, I've been speaking. I've thrown out a few things there. Um, if there's something in there that's for you, where you're going, just, Lord, I need that for my marriage. Lord, I need that for my work situation. I need that for my finances, for my kids. Whatever it is, you grab it and you, you hold on to that, okay? So that's your little prayer. So I'm going to pray generally, but I want you to pray yourself about your situation. Amen? Father, we, we know that you are God Almighty, the great creator God. Give us today revelation of that truth and that reality. Let it sink into our hearts. Let it transform our minds. Because I don't think, Father, we have a full revelation of just how great you are, how big you are, how magnificent, powerful, all-powerful you are. May we meditate on that. Jesus, you are not only our Savior, but you are our Lord, our King. Your kingdom is established. It has been established. It is fully established. And to the government, to the increase of your government and peace, to the increase of it, there is no end. Your government and your peace is forever and eternally increasing. Lord, I pray that tonight, sorry, today, you would increase your government in our lives as we, as individuals, make decisions, and as husband and wives, and as parents, and as singles, whatever it is, that we will make decisions to obey you and step in obedience to your leading Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for marriages today. I pray for restoration in marriages. I pray a renewing of love in our hearts towards spouses. 
Just a renewed love. If that's for you, friends, I feel there's something on marriages. Please receive that. Please do not go and try this at home. Actually do it. Father, I pray for renewing of love in marriages, a tenderness and a softening of hearts, a speaking to one another with a gentleness in, in our tongues. For kids, Lord, we know that kids can be challenging. You know better than us because we are your children and we challenge you all the time. And you are gracious towards us and merciful. Father, help us to actually raise our children well with all their problems. Just as we have problems and you yet still love us unconditionally. Father, may we learn how to take each child and deal with them in a loving, gentle, yet also firm and very consistent way. That they see stability. They see love. They experience love. And through that, Lord, we know that your kingdom is automatically established when we step in line with your way. May your kingdom come in the life of our children, in the life of our marriage. For those in work situations, Father, where we are frustrated in the workplace or, or there, is, there is some sort of angst or anxiety or, or conflict, may we pray and see you transform that circumstance. May we speak life and may we respond and not react. For us as a church, Lord, towards one another. I pray that we would soften our hearts towards each other and we would walk in the way of love and peace with each other and we would see your kingdom manifest in our meetings, in our gatherings, be it in the home groups, be it around dinner tables or be it on a Sunday gathering. Lord, that we would experience your presence manifesting in and amongst us. We don't want to play games. We don't want to fight with sticks and stones. Lord, we want to, we want to have, uh, we want to be equipped with your weapons, your weapons that drive the enemy back rather than allow him to settle in our lives. God, your kingdom is established. We tap into it. We exalt you. We thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. You came and you showed us the way, and yet you still gave your life. You have removed sin from us. You were raised to life again, and we are justified in you a new creation. We are new creations. I'm not an arrogant, angry, short-tempered man. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm long-suffering because I have your nature. I'm gentle. I'm truthful. I'm not a swindler. I'm not addicted. I don't have oppression. I don't have depression. For I walk in the newness of life where your spirit reigns in me. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were raised to the throne, your kingdom always established. And we declare that you shall return again in glory. And for now, until that day, Lord, we want to embody your kingdom in, on earth, in every aspect of our lives, as honor and glory towards you until you return to make all things new. We declare that in the name of Jesus, the Messiah King. Amen. Fantastic. Friends, Thank you for giving me 10 extra minutes. I appreciate that. Tea and coffee, but more so. More so than the tea and coffee. More so than clapping for the sermon. Put this into practice. I can't stress that or urge that anymore. Put it into practice because it will work. It's guaranteed to work because it's in the scriptures and it's truth. Amen? Enjoy your week. Be blessed. And as my one friend always says, may your journey be blessed. I don't know why he says that to me, but I like it. May your journey be blessed.